0: Okay, I hope this is definitely going to work. Okay. Hello, and welcome back to Cairncast. This is episode five, which is quite shocking. We've managed to... Uh, play, go over I thought you were going for the high, high five. High five. High five. <laughs> high five. We've managed to keep it going this long. Fancy yeah. that. Uh, we're back today in Frederick Street, um... Say Frederick Street. I did this the last time. That is only a street in in Edinburgh, but we're back in our our shop, Cairngorm Coffee on Frederick Street, um, which reopened some time ago, uh, and we're closed on Tuesdays, so we're taking full advantage. Yeah. It is the morning, yeah, overcast morning in Edinburgh, and here with Harris.
1: Hello, it's great space to sit in. Like I absolutely do love um, sitting in Frederick Street, especially when it's closed like this. We quite often come in here and work, so yeah, it is a very nice spot for sitting in and doing some work sure and recording is. podcasts. Yeah, ideal.
0: And having coffee. <laughs> and having coffee. Shame there's no one here to make one for us. We've yeah. had to uh, had to make our own coffee this morning, uh, of which we had a pretty nice geisha. Oh, Ooh. you might find out more about that soon. Yeah. Um, well, maybe we could just talk very briefly about it, but this will be coming out on Wednesday. We do have a candidate in the UKBC this year yeah. um, who will be using the coffee we tried. And let me tell you, it's delicious it's delicious um, and I think we're definitely going to do
1: a podcast around that and sort of competition in general because obviously he's not using guilty pleasures in the competition, is he he is he using is uh and we say he it's one of our baristas called Kyle um but yeah he's using a geisha Kyle magisha Kyle magisha. <laughs> Um, yeah, I love that. Um, yeah, so we're, we'll chat about that another time. But yeah. yeah, obviously,
0: I'm trying to wonder if we can get into a tangent into what from that. But obviously, um, guilty pleasures being the house coffee we use all the time um, is designed to be on the cheaper but good quality end of our our spectrum yeah. um, to allow for it to be. Uh, widely adopted as your kind of go-to um, coffee that you buy in bulk for flat whites, for mochas, for for whatever. Um, and what we're going to talk t- about today is is is, uh, is the the race to the bottom. And I think uh, it's been fairly widely talked about. I know uh, Maxwell um, Clona Dashwood uh, had a good uh, a, a very good um, conversation about it on his YouTube channel um, and. We kind of want to just have our say in how it, it kind of f- figures into our thinking as a business and as a brand, uh, because I guess to to uh, not ruin the the premise of the, the conclusion of a story, but w- you know our thinking is is around how can you be competitive uh, without essentially tarnishing your your business and or oh, your brand and how it's um, how it's seen by yeah. the public.
1: Yeah, and I think obviously another dynamic to add into that is that. Uh, different businesses have different coffee requirements. So uh, if you are a bakery which sells coffee, your requirement for high-quality coffee mm-hmm. might be slightly lower than a specialty cafe, um, which is really focused on coffee. Um, but I think what we're going to get into is, is around how do you make sure quality is high and you can price it as competitively as mm-hmm. possible while still actually making some money, um, yeah. I think uh, across it, all industries, COVID, general cost of living crisis, people are fighting over sales. Mm-hmm. One of the easiest ways to get sales is to lower your price, um, and like we're going to talk about, how can that be really brand damaging? Can you get your prices back up once you've lowered them?
0: Yeah, and I guess in our case, uh, um, lowering the price of something to be competitive, uh, does that then almost um, undervalue the other assets in your business? Yeah. For us, for example, if we want to sell a geisha, um, you know, does trying to pitch our blend to be super, you know, low to try and attract, or not to try and attract? But I guess inevitably, you do. Um, fall into a, a market which maybe doesn't value the likes of a geisha or single origin quite as highly. Yeah. Um, and I guess is it possible? I, I, I'm thinking outwardly, but I could ask you the question: Do you think it is possible um, to kind of coexist in that space where you are uh, offering a blend, as an example, um, dirt cheap, yeah. but then also have respect as a, a specialty brand selling single origin coffee?
1: it's 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 a hard question to answer i think because uh, and we've talked about this quite a lot um branding and the message that your brand portrays is such a critical thing now so when you look at a brand like i'll use coca cola but you know exactly what you're going to get mm-hmm. and i think that's is very very important so if someone looks at box of Cairngorm coffee and is like I don't know if this is the quality that I'm used to Mm -hmm. or I don't really know what I'm going to get I think that is difficult to build momentum with customers I think customers are very keen now to get behind brands which hold their hands up and say we're going to maybe be a little higher price but you're going to get quality every time yeah um and so we've we've talked about this so much then to get volumes up from a roastery point of view, do you then need to maybe do a you know, different label, cheaper concept? Yeah. And I think I'll get quite technical here around the cost to roast a kilo um, of a very cheap, low-margin coffee, um, outside of the green coffee itself, which might be cheaper, all of our overhead costs are the same. Mm-hmm. So if, if a coffee costs £5 pounds per kilo to buy our overhead costs to roast that kilo are the same. Mm-hmm. So if we can then only sell that for fifteen pounds, that's vastly different from roasting a high-end, really good specialty coffee, which might cost us nine pounds a kilo mm-hmm. of green, but we can then sell for twenty five plus pounds per kilo. So I think it's you need a mixture. You need the cheap stuff or the lower the higher volume stuff to Get you more volume through the roaster to lower those overall overheads. Yeah, but
0: interestingly, you know the on the lower end of the 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 green pricing that that we would, you know, we without going into specifics, you know, we wouldn't. um, We don't currently buy coffee maybe less than five pounds a uh, a green kilo, for example. Um, The quality difference between Say five pounds and three pounds is vast. Yeah, like a three pounds. Uh, some roasters might be able to get relatively good quality there if they have, uh, Ford contracted and they had relationships and um, and but they're going to have to sacrifice something. Yeah. Um, a lot of the time, those cheaper coffees are past crop or they've been people. Uh, you know, the warehouses are trying to shift stock, but the quality difference between at two pounds is vast. Yeah. And the interesting thing is, like, your overheads could be ten pounds, and it's like, uh, it's mad. Like, can you shave off two pounds to try and get your, your – because, you know, the, the difference then of between a five-pound per kilo green and seven pounds, again, is vast. Yeah, So it's like, I guess the challenge is, like, how do you get your overheads to try and be more competitive rather than going to the, the green coffee and buying cheap? Something
1: we talk about a lot and probably something that I've helped – to focus on is you know working out cost per kilo. But I think we can probably tangent slightly into this because a lot of this discussion is about whether a business wants to maintain its quality and its appearance of quality versus price. So, mm-hmm. you know, I think ugh, there's always there's always compromises that need to be made. But I, I think we can probably, you know, given the conversation you're just having you could maybe give an oversight over actual green coffee. So, like, obviously, to be a specialty cafe, essentially, I think I'm right in saying the green coffee score or the coffee score needs to be above what is an, called an, an 80. Yeah. And, you know, the price is heavily dictated by those scores mm-hmm. as well. So I think probably if we are talking in this episode slightly about quality, if you could give a bit of background on those numbers. Again, it's something, I think, for... Non coffee experts' minds will be blown by the fact that every single coffee has a score.
0: Yeah, I, I mean, and and that score is usually dictated by the importer, which I find quite interesting because yeah, yeah, those are the the people that essentially are marketing and selling the coffee. Yeah. Um. So they mark their own homework basically. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Essentially. Yeah. And obviously, that's where there is added value within your roastery team to have a q grader or to have someone who can call their bluff and, and essentially because and it's completely f- fair in a sense like you would be a bit of an idiot as a essentially a businessman i mean obviously we d- everyone in coffee wants to have a sustainable edge but at the end of the day you're trying to feed yourself you try you're t- it, it yeah. is all a business um the coffee industry um, so you would be a bit silly to m- to uh, to round down your your numbers when you're grading coffee. I, I mean, if you're uh, um, if you're doing it impartially, that's probably the best way. And I think yeah. um, maybe that's what we need to start getting is an impartial grader to um, who's not uh, invested in some way or another. That's a different topic. Um, so yeah, the, the the numbers kind of come from assessing the coffee. Uh, in terms of uh, a whole host of things, to be honest, it's not something which I've done a huge amount on in terms of uh, understanding the full extent of Q grading. Um, but certainly, from our experience in in grading roasted coffee, it's more more along the lines of you know assessing aromas, assessing um, taste and flavour, and 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 defects, um, not roasting defects, but uh, green defects as a, a result of you know least rough, uh, least rough. <laughs> least leaf of rust least. <laughs> or at least rough, <laughs> rough. Least rough. Yeah. at least it's rough um or you know um or you know even to an extent of beetles and stuff getting in or the coffee being uh, have having lost m- too much moisture all these kind of little bits and pieces yeah um but um yes above 80 is specialty 80 is a very low yeah, like yeah, I, I don't think we, we've have ever bought an 80 um and i don't think many specialty uh, operators do but it's there and I think um, it is specialty yeah. technically and I think that is where within that race to the bottom the, that kind of that window um, yeah. of, of coffee becomes more prevalent and it is um, traditionally absorbed in blends so you would maybe have that slightly lower graded Brazil that's chucked in with mm-hmm a mid-range to low-range Ethiopian or something just to add a bit of juice. Yeah,
1: and I think that's that's the very interesting point is that um, the speciality benchmark being at 80 leaves quite a lot of wiggle room for mm-hmm. people to call stuff, I guess, speciality yeah. without necessarily, I guess, from your perspective and also, you know, even uh, you speak to Q grader perspectives, mm-hmm. that being... The quality you would want to serve in in your cafes, essentially. Yeah. So, I yeah, I think it's quite important to understand those scores from a Cairngorm perspective. I guess give a rough flavour of you know where do our some of our single origin filters, single origin espressos that we sell at Frederick Street as well, and where does the blend fit in? So, what yeah. what scoring range are you always
0: kind of looking to hit? So. T- for, for Obviously, um, being transparent again, I, I am not a Q grader. We currently don't have a Q grader in our team. However, um, we base a lot of our judgment um, on our experience tasting coffee. And, you know, we've bought a lot of bad coffee in our, our time. Um, and I feel, it's um, <laughs> weird, it feels like it's a dirty secret. There aren't actually that many Q graders um, yeah. around, especially in Scotland. Uh, there are some. Um, who do a great job and I think um shout out to the Mancusa. shout out to Adrian. yeah, yeah. <laughs> one, one of the few yeah um, but it, it's uh it's a skill set that, that we're always um, wanting to build on I think um, it is uh, it is a piece piece of paper that that um, that gives you all of the kind of um, understanding because I guess the, the challenge with with tasting coffee is anybody can taste coffee but it's about how do you identify flavor with and, and kind of put that into a, a, a place? Like, is that, um, a defect or is that just mm. some of the processing or is it uh, a defect that is caused by processing? Has it been over fermented? Yeah. Ha- um, has it, um, is it tasting a bit aged? Probably the most common one is age. And I think, you know, uh, when you're buying bigger volumes, we're f- fairly fortunate that we buy in relatively small quantity. Um, we still see ourselves as a very small coffee roaster. Um, but as that, as we grow, you know, the, the danger is almost um, always to be overbuying um, and contracting coffee that you then have to get rid of over a period of time. Yeah. And if, you know, you don't detect um, a bit of age the first time you try the coffee, if you've then got six months to consume that or longer, yeah. uh, you're certainly going to detect it uh, along that line. So, yeah. Um, I think there's there's a lot of really unglamorous parts of of uh, grading coffee that um, that probably get uh, you know they're yeah less exciting and maybe get under under uh, utilized but um, certainly I think one of the things that has helped us a lot in in terms of buying and and purchasing and trying to d- decide what kind of coffees we want to buy has been our color grading system uh, internally yeah. which has allowed you know I think it's always easy to get p- um swayed into or or you know going for oh, all these naturals t- taste amazing yeah and we kind of set ourselves a challenge of like only buying um one natural essentially at a time or yeah. y- having one in the wings but we would try and make sure all let's buy the best natural yeah. that we've tasted of that of that kind of s- um green um purchasing yeah uh, uh opportunity and i think that has really allowed us to hone in and on you know not just getting, I suppose, uh, carried away and going, um, I don't know, what's the word? Being erratic, I suppose, with our buying. Yeah, um, sure. But I think that, to go to your point about the blending, when we're, we're doing that, certainly we want all of the components of our blend to have merit to stand on their own. I think yeah. this was a challenge we went back to at the start, was can we only put into the blend stuff that we would be happy to to serve as a single origin? And it's quite uncommon. <laughs> is, there, is there a dog over there that's um, squeaking? Get back in the back. Yeah, it's good. So this is this is all part of the um, the glamour awesome. of uh, running a uh, running a podcast. I think it's good for people to see the behind the scenes. Oh, is it? Uh, I'm sure oh, that I'm sure sure, sure Rogan and Big Jim have dogs that are squeaking in a bag. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think like that was our goal. That was our uh, and it is to, to an extent something we have managed to achieve. Um, at the moment, we have in our blend we have the Agata and the Popian. Popian is tasting great as a single origin. What? We ha- we had our doubts about it at one point, yeah, sure. um, but we've managed to kind of um, uh, change the profile and roast it in a certain we'll way. Which has the
1: spot here. What yeah. is the cup score for both of those off the top of your head? You probably got it on your laptop. No, so I got it on perfect. the laptop. But it's um, it'll be above eighty five.
0: I, I guess. This leads me into the the point, which maybe is a bit of a guilty pleasure, dirty secret, is that it's not always the thing which I Mm. am aware of or most interested in, weirdly, because I just think that is someone's opinion on that coffee. And obviously it can be, in in most cases, someone with much more... uh, rounded skill sets than I have but it can also be someone who's trying to sell you coffee so ultimately
1: it's someone who's trying to sell you coffee which I always find mind-blowing yeah I'm like it is a really really bizarre way of doing it but
0: But there's different in in different origins there will be different ways of grading that is really the, the grade that's put on specialty coffee or coffee in general but specialty coffee when it's then being sold yeah but um uh quality is graded in different ways at origin. So, yeah. you know, in Kenya, they, they would grade the size of the beans as AA, AB, yes. uh, PB, all these kind of things. Um, and uh, in Colombia, they have their own way of doing it too. I think it's like, um, it's only really when they're trying to then sell it to market, I think that they start considering these these scores. Um, and it, has, it completely makes sense. It has a real purpose. Yeah, it does. Um, but... Um, it also is to to execute is something which you have to. It's a it's a, um, a uh, qualification, and it costs money to do these things, yeah. and it's not something that everyone can can do. Certainly, yeah. for me, it's a time based issue. It's like yeah. to have to go through all of the. Um, but yeah, yeah, it's maybe something for the future. Yeah, but certainly um, the the Agata and the Poppyan are two coffees that we stand by. Is ones that we. S- serve we ser- sell them both they are on our website at single origins yeah and that's kind of our commitment going forward is we want to do that yeah um, and I think that's kind of what uh, can uh, ensure that we're not slipping in something that's like okay well, let's just try and get get something that's three pounds a kilo through the out the door to what try and that? cheapen our blend
1: and I think that's obviously shown by the difference in pricing so you know across our range of coffees that we've got available at the moment, um you know the prices per 250 grams of a retail box are different and Mm -hmm. um most likely the ones that are using the guilty pleasure blend will be slightly cheaper because Mm -hmm. you know they do have a lower score than say some of the really really you know not say the word fancy but some of the high-end single origins we're using yeah um just as a again a real transparent picture there so andros for example um Which we all love, Mm -hmm. and we've loved for a number of years, an incredible coffee. Uh, This year, costs ten pounds fifty, roughly per kilo. To put that into perspective, the agata and the poppyan used in the blend are in the region of six, six to seven pounds, basically. Yeah. And I think you know, so you're talking almost fifty percent less Mm -hmm. of rounding. Serious, serious rounding there. (laughs) Some rounding license, but no, but they they are significantly cheaper. Another, uh, you know, again, we can chat. We're segueing away slightly and in general in terms of the conversation we're having about the race to the bottom. Coffee prices have shot up over the last twelve to eighteen months. So I think we were looking back that Andros was
0: significantly cheaper.
1: Yeah, last six
0: pounds seventy. So it has
1: gone up by roughly four pounds. Yeah. You know, seventy odd percent in one year is the cost that a, s- a high-quality single origin like Andro's has gone up. Because Andro's tasted fantastic last year, mm-hmm. and it's tasting fantastic this year, but it's costing us 70% more. Yeah. We're not charging 70% more for Andro's.
0: No. And th- this is an interesting uh, segue, because obviously we have very recently, like, we want to be as transparent as possible on these podcasts, but we have very recently, in the past few weeks, you have run the numbers, as yeah. it were, and we had significantly underestimated... Um, or overheads that, that go in and you know the 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 coffee prices need to continue to go up at our yeah. end to try and um, to make it a viable business and I think um, it is mad that the reason that has happened is because things have happened so quick like yeah. costs have increased at a rate of knots and obviously from the outside if if you you're not someone who uh, is in the industry of running a business um it can be uh it could seem as if all oh that it should should have been obvious over covid things have slowly been rising yeah but this recent cost of living crisis has um is exponentially exploded the uh the cost of of goods and and um the, the coffee prices are beginning to come down this this yeah. uh in this period but obviously um a lot of the coffees we've been buying have been from the last harvest when uh, the, the, the cost of producing goods was extremely high in and shipping and, yeah. and warehousing and all these things. Um, so we're still feeling the brunt of that. Um, much in the same way, if you were doing some building work, the building yeah. merchant will have bought the wood but back when it was expensive, even if it's come down, it's not going to come down quickly. You
1: know? But an interesting question there, because we're, we're obviously talking about racing to the bottom here. From the people we buy green off, if we're willing to spend £10.50 on Andro's mm-hmm. and his costs go down, why should he lower the price that we're buying Andro's at? And I think that's part of the challenge going forward is um, obviously because other people around him will probably start lowering the prices and then maybe we will turn around and say, look, Andro's is no longer competitively priced as a mm-hmm. green coffee. But it, it is interesting that the price is whatever people are willing to pay, essentially. Yeah, um, And so th- that then flips us back into our discussion about the race to the bottom,
0: is that... Well, would the price of a flat white in Cairngorm come down? It's set a new barrier, hasn't it? it and I has. think that's the, qu- the question. Yeah, it's,
1: it's, it's very interesting. And I think that's, you know, another podcast along the lines of what goes into the price of a cup of coffee, because there's so many things. And unsurprisingly, if you look at your Starbucks... Um, breakdowns that they give the bean cost is actually a very low part of the cost of a coffee Um, so generally costs are going up across the board which then creates this funny situation where uh, businesses need to compete with each other more aggressively to survive and (laughs) as I think we said earlier one of the easiest ways to compete is to undercut on pricing mm-hmm. and then you're in like we say this race to undercut and undercut and the way to survive then is you have to sell more volume and i think we are taking the approach that we would rather maintain our quality and try as best as possible to maintain our pricing and sell lower volume essentially you know and cover cloth accordingly um but it's an interesting you know i, I come segueing again but part of the chat we we're having five minutes ago the likes of an illy who maybe i don't know if they are with class as speciality but so illy what will the cup score that they sell coffee will you be able to find that i out? don't know. I have no idea uh, uh, because let's I- get interactive you know illy is one of those coffee companies that you see in lots of places you see it in lots of hotels you see it in lots of um cafes and restaurants yeah um I assume their price per kilo is significantly cheaper than what we can do it for um but the quality is is also significantly lower, so I think that's uh it's part of again the discussion around who is your target customer? what's your target market so yeah. you know if a, if it's a restaurant and they don't care about the coffee they're serving necessarily, and Italy can do it for seven pounds fifty a kilo instead of seventeen pounds a kilo.
0: I can't find. I mean, I don't think anyone's even ever searched for what is the cup score of Illy coffee. <laughs> That's yeah. a new one. Uh, it, you know, it's yeah, it, it just doesn't exist. Well, maybe um, tr- we'll try and uh, yeah. I mean, it's not why people uh, people don't buy Illy coffee for the nuance of flavour. I suppose
1: I think it's if anyone knows, I you know, if anyone listening to this in the comments below, you know, I'd be super interested to find out some of the cup sco- scores of. Some of the cheaper blends that yeah. you know are kicking. About. I mean, certainly
0: Nescafe. I, I I worry about talking about things I don't fully understand, but um, I would imagine they're buying based on the commodity price of coffee, yeah. which is something that we f- are so far from. Yeah. Um, but they will basically buy in huge bulk based yeah. on what the the market is doing. Yeah. Um, and to a certain extent when we talk about prices going up and down, that is dictated also by the market yeah. to some extent. Um, but, uh, c- you know, it's an interesting topic. Like, I do think that we as roasters should be paying based on what we think of the quality. Like, yeah. And I think that kind of... You need to stand on y- by your sword a wee bit there. Like, if something tastes great... Would we be like, Oh, I'm prepared to pay an extra pound a kilo for that? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Maybe that's how we should be thinking. I know, you know, the likes of Coffee Collective, that's they they're quite transparent on what they paid for something and they have like a kind of bonus yeah I'm sure scheme where if it um if year on year it, it um exceeds their expectation they will pay an extra yeah whatever yeah. as a bonus to the farmer. And I think, you know, again these are th- these are economies of scale that like it's where we want to get to is to be able to to uh not economies of scale but it's you know like when you get to the scale these guys are at it's um we can have fun with doing stuff like that like i want to be able to make a difference to farmers lives essentially yeah um it's just um and going back to the race of the bomb, it is all about business and we can't currently you know adequately um run a business in that fashion which is uh, yeah. we need to think about the cost of our goods sadly yeah so i th-
1: to kind of come back a little bit and, and something that's very, very important to you as obviously founder of Caregorm eight years ago, you're very focused on Caregorm, the brand. Mm-hmm. And I think the discussions that we have with myself, you and Matt, the wholesale manager, a lot of our discussions around cost and price also center around brand. And yeah. I think that's something you're very passionate about is... Uh, if some customers turn around to us, wholesale customers turn around to us and say, your coffee's too expensive, the immediate reaction is like, oh, how can we make it cheaper? Can yeah. we get a cheaper blend? Uh, what can we do? And then I think gradually you go away, you think about it, you sleep and you're like, no, I don't want to do that. Yeah. And I think that's an important point for us, which is different from other businesses. You know, Other people might come to other conclusions. But very much... From my view, you sit on the fence of, I don't want to go cheaper.
0: Yeah, well, I think a lot of that has been drilled into me from you know my dad worked yeah for the Macallan yeah so yeah. it's like yeah your y- brand to yeah. you know and uh, to be fair it always was the pinnacle of whiskey but it has continued and continued to roll on and become this behemoth of yeah. of, a, of an of a business and I think. If at any point they had decided to compete with like a blend or something, I think that would have impacted their ability to then target Mm -hmm. the Asian market and all. Very good analogy that. So I think um, I go, I chat to him. This is a topic that comes up with uh, with him and I quite a lot when I see him. And I was in North Berwick a couple of months ago, and um, it was around the time when we were having this this topic quite genuinely, thinking how can we. Um, because at the end of the day, this is our first experience of having a wholesale manager. Yeah, his job is to go out and sell coffee. Matt yeah. has been doing a great job, yeah. but he does come, a, you know, he's confronted by this a lot. And yeah. it would be far easier for him to to do his job if he could just say, "Oh yeah, we've got this coffee that's you know much cheaper." Yeah. Um, and so uh, there has been quite a lot of pushback to try trying, like, uh, is that something we should consider? My dad was basically like, uh, "Don't do it." Yeah. <laughs> he was like, "It's not." Um, it's not worth it in the long run, um, and I completely ag- agree. And uh, there's a good uh, another good analogy of we're in Frederick Street now. There was a shop around the corner, and I would walk around at uh, lunchtime, and it's down Basil Street. People in Edinburgh might know uh, it's a sandwich shop, uh, and it'd be queued at the door. And I'd be like, "It's ridiculous! Like, how how are they doing so well?" And yeah. I went in for lunch one day, and it was. You could get a bacon roll and a packet crisps and a can of wine brew for, you know, like three <laughs> quid. A meal um, deal. A meal deal. So, and I was like, oh, maybe that's where we're going wrong. Yeah. So I was chatting to my dad. I was like, maybe we need to just like sell bacon rolls. We need to try and like. Yeah. And uh, his question was, do you want to sell <laughs> that? Yeah. And I was like, well, no. And he's like, well, don't do it. Yeah. And if we had done that, I do think it would have impacted our brand long long term. We sh- we should be trying to compete with the McAllen. We shouldn't be trying to compete with sandwich shops. Yeah, uh, and that's how you know that's been part of the kind of the vision for the brand in a, in a sense. Um, and I think every decision that is made on a day to day basis impacts the opportunity to expand your brand into being that kind of. Um, hard hitter in uh in your own industry and i think um that's where the race to the bottom is is a very interesting topic because cheapening yourself doesn't uh give you brand loyalty it doesn't give you um uh you know power to then uh be able to do really cool things it just gets you cheap money I think that's it's a
1: great summary yeah. good place <laughs> to end that. I'll place that there you go oh,
0: yeah summarize oh
1: i think that's it is super important again it always comes back to something we chatted about on an earlier podcast around understanding what you want from your business mm-hmm. you are be very clear on that mastering yep. if you're not clear you can end up selling everything yeah under the sun so i guess that's focus for as sure
0: well. it's tor- tortoise and the hare it's like do you want to be the hare who makes money quick and then um doesn't have anything with any weight or do you you build your brand and uh, almost put yourself into the the position where you can be an industry leader in a sense? Yeah, um, yeah. that has real yeah real um, yeah sway and real like that, That's what gets me out of bed in the morning. It's like I want to to uh, be a, a recognized brand that you know that can. Charge a price which people know is val- yeah. value for quality, and I think uh, the race to the bottom is 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 not that, and not something we want to be involved in. No. There uh, we go. <laughs> that's a good good yeah. place to stop. Then is not yeah, it? It's a good place to stop. <laughs> Our UKBC world champion Kyle McGeisha, and Kyle, Kyle <laughs> <laughs> has walked in.
1: Hence the dog interruptions. Um, all but
0: so we'll make some geishas now. Work on a routine for Friday, and then talk um, about race to the bottom. All right. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're racing, race to the top. Here we go you to the top. Right um, there. and then, um, maybe we'll try and slip in a wee Scottish rugby podcast or something. Well, with our <laughs> Scottish <laughs> rugby <laughs> <and the laughs> experts. And, yeah, it's a, lo- a lot of strings to this guy's bow. Oh, um, thank you so much for listening. Thank um, you. We are surprising ourselves at so the regularity in which we're managing to get these out uh, yeah. Hopefully it's adding some value to some people's week yeah, it is. Uh, Probably not, but if it is of so any to uh, use to or interest to you or you find value in it Then please do let us know, it's great to hear um, And um, we're we're increasing on YouTube at a rate of about one subscriber a week <laughs> we'll see so you at the bottom <laughs> <So> <laughs> or we're on the race the top we're on the very 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 slowly but yeah. um if you do like what you're doing please if you're listening on YouTube um mm. yeah give us a subscribe let your mates know um we don't think there's enough people doing coffee content uh, online no. uh, there are some great ones um but uh yeah we hope it is um, you know valuable. we valuable. feel
1: very much this is like the drive to survive of the coffee industry basically <laughs> at the moment, isn't it so
0: there's a new one It's it called the, the Full Swing It's watching it last night And the Ruggers one It's actually gonna on right now. Oh, Incredible So be be this is basically a Prelude to the coffee industry Yeah yeah, so. yeah That's it we'll, we'll coin it Right Have a great week And we'll see you soon For the next one Bye 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 bye